Good morning. The reading this morning is Psalm 1, which you will find on page 448 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you, Sheila, and thank you, Graham, and thank you, Graham, two Grahams, and to Freddie and Charles for leading us in our music. Let me pray as we turn to Psalm 1. Our Father, we pray that over these two Sunday mornings, as we focus on Psalms 1 and 2, the gateway into the songbook, the prayer book of the Bible, that it would be helpful to us, uh, both in and of itself over these two weeks, but also instructive more generally as to how we uh, live and function and breathe as Christians. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, this Sunday and next, we're taking a break from Genesis, which is our uh, series on Sundays and in small groups through the year, to focus on uh, Psalms 1 and 2. The Psalms uh, function together as um, a kind of preface to the book of Psalms as a whole. Let me just point you to one little marker in the text to show you that. If you look at Psalm 1, uh, verse 1 in your Bibles, blessed is the man. The word man is a generic term. It means uh, person. Blessed is the person. And if you go to the very end of Psalm 2, you'll see, uh, and it's even uh, sharper textually in the original Hebrew, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the Psalms go together and we will read into Psalm 2 today, um, later on in the uh, sermon, and then focus on it in much more detail next week. Let me just give you um, a very uh, sort of high-level summary of what Psalm 1 is about and what Psalm 2 is about. And you'll see uh, therein how they function as a kind of preface to the book of Psalms and indeed much more widely to the whole of the Word of God. So Psalm 1 is really about uh, where we live and where we are at home as Christians. What's our habitat? If you watch a, 
a nature, uh, apparently beavers are being reintroduced uh, into uh, the UK. Uh, someone told me that this week. I'm not quite sure why I've told you that now, but, um, <laughs> well, I have. I do know why I've told you. Habitat, yeah? Beavers, I don't know what a habitat for beavers is. I'm not sure they'll know either because they haven't lived here for so long. But um, they have their habitat, okay? And what's the habitat for um, Christians? The habitat, the place where we thrive, is um, the Word of God. But someone talks about that in a very fresh way. It talks about delighting and meditating in the Word of God. And Psalm 2 is about the consequence of that or the, uh, the, the, the result of that, um, loving Jesus. Psalm 2 has that beautiful uh, phrase in it, kiss the Son, kiss the King, kiss the Lord Jesus. So living in the habitat of the Word, uh, loving uh, Jesus. Now, one of the... Something that many of you have shared uh, with me, and I'm sure with many others, uh, over the past couple of months or so, is the prayerful desire. And it's a personal thing. It's not a kind of hypothetical scenario that you're describing. The people in our families who are not Christians, or our friends who aren't Christians, or course mates, or work colleagues, and people in our communities, and whatever, and and much more widely, uh, as Graham was praying, in our country, that people who are just so disinterested in the gospel, or when they encounter it, uh, come to the conclusion that the things of this life are worth more, and they just won't believe. We all share a prayerful longing that the tide will turn, and that times of uh, what we might call renewal and revival, and all that that means is that the ones and twos of conversions that are happening, and uh, those of you who will be engaged in in CU events weeks, there will be people converted. But all the revival and renewal is that there will not be um, five, there will be 25 or or more, and there starts to be a kind of movement back to Jesus and to the gospel. And we all desire uh, that. And uh, we want to be useful to God and to each play a part Um, in that. And there are many encouraging things going on in uh, the West and in our country, particularly as it gets harder. Christians are being refined and the gospel is clearer. But Psalm 1 is about being useful to God. What does that mean? It means different things for different people according to their gifts, but the principle of being useful to God to live fruitful, spiritually prosperous Lives. And when you heard the psalm, you will have read that uh, the, the righteous person in Psalm 1 is fruitful and prosperous and impactful. And uh, it's good for us to, to want to be that. There's a danger that you want to be successful or known for being prosperous and impactful. But it's equally dangerous to, to want sort of mediocrity in the Christian life or to be comfortable with not being fruitful and prosperous for the Lord. Now, the psalm describes a righteous 
person. It begins, blessed is the man. That's our translation. The word man is a generic term. Blessed is the, the person. Blessed is the human being. And then the psalm goes on to describe that uh, blessed person. Now, who is the righteous person in the psalm? Who fits the description? Now, let's just look really carefully at what it says. Blessed is the man or godly person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, let me paraphrase that. This person the psalm is talking about does not engage in worldly thinking, whatever that might mean, sort of, I suppose, immoral thoughts or uh, philosophy without God or worldviews does not engage in that, is not kind of persuaded by any of that. Moreover, the righteous person described in this psalm does not stand in the way of sinners. And I think what that means, it's hard to know exactly. Um, I'm going to paraphrase that as worldly uh, behavior. So um, living in ways that are worldly or sinful. This person doesn't do that nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, the posture of sitting in the ancient world was uh, um, you, you kind of sit down and that's how you state where your allegiance lies. So th this person that's being described in the psalm is not in any way uh, in the camp of the world, worldly uh, allegiance. So you might say, blessed is the one, this person, who is not of the world. But instead, here's the positive, their delight is in the law of the Lord, or the word of God, we might say. And on that law or that word, he meditates day and night. So this person has a day and night, constant conscious meditation and delight in the law of the Lord and the word of God. Uh, this person has their habitat in the word of God. And they are like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all they do, they prosper. Now, you've got to take on these words and say, who is, in all they do, they prosper. And the person exudes I know spiritual stability, that kind of rock solid. I think Graham was praying for that and sort of stumbled on me halfway through the prayer that Graham had read the psalm, which was obviously coming through in his prayer. Rock solid, immovable. Not kind of blown by the winds of culture or um, uh, the person is, is vital. They're kind of alive to spiritual things, productive, durability, durability, Duracell batteries, remember them? Durability. I, I used that uh, in service one and there was a complete silence. <laughs> so well done for just being more enthusiastic. Durability, prosperity. What 
Remember we had this text before. All they do prosper. Whatever they do is spiritually fruitful. Who is this? It's not you and it's not me. It's Jesus. Now, it's really important that we see that, not so that we then stop. That would be a short sermon, nine minutes, 55. That would be like the new creation for me. It's not that we stop there and say, this is not about us. The bar is way too high. We are not this person, and it's clear that we're not. Therefore, trust Jesus for your life and hang on in there until he comes again, and it will all come right. Okay? It is about Jesus first. He is the only one who fits the picture of the righteous person in the psalm. Now, if you've been here a bit on Sunday nights in Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus says the most outrageous things, like be perfect. And he puts the bar way up here, like where these floodlights are. And he says, come on then, let's reach up. And we fail. But it doesn't stop there in the Christian life. The Christian life is about approaching righteousness in an entirely new way. And the psalm is in exactly the same uh, place. Now, who is the righteous person? It is Jesus. He is the only one, bar none, who fits the picture of the righteous person in the psalm perfectly. And you see, if we read through the psalms, which are, are, are food and drink for us, they're wonderful. They, um, we sing the psalms and uh, one of the ways to, to think about, the best way to think about the Psalms is who is singing? Sometimes the Psalms are solos of Jesus that we listen to. Sometimes the Psalms are solos of us, like Psalms of Repentance. That's Psalms uh, that we sing. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, we all love singing that. Whose Psalm is that? First, it's Jesus. How do we know? Because only he is anointed as king. But then we sing the psalm. He sings, he says, come on, join in with me singing the psalm. Join in with me in living the life that I enable you to live because I dwell in you by the, the Spirit. So that's how the psalms uh, work. Now, so the psalm is first and foremost the Lord Jesus, but not just him. Uh, it, not just the psalm that uh, tells us I'm running ahead of myself. Um, how do we know it's Jesus? Instincts tell us. My life tells me it's not me because I don't do all these things. But Psalm 2, the, the second Psalm in the pair, helps us see it's Jesus. So let's just read Psalm uh, 2. Um, that's the best way to, to show you. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is a kind of take on from the back end of Psalm 1. This is the, the worldly um, rebellion against God. And God, verse 4 in Psalm 2, sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath, his judgment, 
and terrify them in his fury, saying, what is the strongest thing God says to humanity? As for me, I have set my king on Zion. And here's Psalm 2 talking about the king, the Messiah, on Zion, and my holy hill. And then verse 7 of Psalm 2 is the king's speech. So the king is speaking in verse 7 of Psalm 2. I, the king, will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, the king is speaking, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your uh, heritage. So, um, who is Psalm 1 um, about? Who is Psalm 2 about? They go as a bracket, as a pair. Psalm 2 is clearly about the Lord Jesus because we're not going to sing Psalm 2 unless we're singing it about him because we can't sing and say, this is about me. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Now, you might think, well, yes, you can. You can sing it as an adopted child of God, but the only person who can sing it first with perfect pitch is the King, the Lord Jesus. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's clearly Jesus speaking in the psalm. And if you, and we'll trace this through next week, you get to some of the great Bible texts of the Old Testament, like 2 Samuel 7. David, God's king, who prefigures Christ, says, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Son means paternity, but it also means function, like son of God, uh, somebody fulfilling God's mandate. Isaiah 9, we'll get this at Christmas. Um, For unto us is born a son. And all the way through to the Gospels, God says when he looks at Jesus, what does he say? You are my son. So Psalm 2 is the first time the son, the king, speaks. Now, I've shown you that, and we'll see that much more next week, because Psalm uh, 2 and Psalm are first and foremost about Jesus. The righteous person in Psalm 1 is, is Jesus. Now, here's a perfect sermon. It's 16 minutes gone, okay? Point one is all about Jesus. Point one's about us. Perfect balance, okay? We'll have to drop point three. We'll never get home, okay? But not just Jesus. You see, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a big school in the Christian life in terms of how we actually functionally live to say, only Jesus can do that, therefore I need to trust him and hang on. Or only Jesus can live like that. What I'm going to do in my life is try and live as much like that as I can, and knowing when I fail, well, he lives it perfectly, so I'll be all right in the end. That's not what the Bible says. It's not the gospel. What, what, how do we find ourselves into Psalm 1? How are we the righteous person? I want to say to you, if you're a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus with, for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, you are the righteous person in Psalm 1. Let me show you. Let me tell you, okay, who you are. Your allegiance is no longer with the world. You've got no worldly allegiance. Okay? You don't think, act, or sit down on a worldly seat. 
Is that right? The habitat where you live and breathe is the Word of God. And you live a fruitful and prosperous life, and you're thinking, no, I don't, that's not true. Or perhaps you're feeling that's not true, it's just not true, is it? My life is compromised, it often feels like I'm walking in the counsel of the wicked. Worldly thinking, and you will be the same as me. Or standing in the way that sinners take worldly behavior, or sitting down and expressing my worldly uh, allegiance. And if that's how it is in reality, what about I don't always delight in the law of the Lord, the word of God. I don't meditate on it day and night. So let me into, let you into a little secret. Here's your minister's confession. I met with a, another minister, not in Chalmers, on, on Friday, and he and I are meeting together on Friday mornings to try and get our devotional lives, our personal Bible reading and praying back on track. There you go. Okay? You, some of you might, might be the same. I always think that everyone else has got these things sussed. Maybe you all do. And there we were, and, and we've agreed this week, we're focusing on Ephesians chapter 1, one verse at a time, and, and we're going to walk for 10 minutes, and we're going to pray that verse. And allied to that, two weeks ago, we had a staff map seminar that Jay led with Amy on um, how to get your devotional lives back on track, and Jay bought little books from us from Waitrose, little red books, and I'm filling a page a day with people to pray for. Now, there you go. I do not meditate on the day of the word of the Lord day and night. You try and put these things in place. And not everything you and I do is spiritually fruitful or prosperous for the Lord. So is this really about me? And is it about you? Now, if you have come to Jesus in repentance for the forgiveness of your sins and by God's grace through faith have been saved, you are a Christian. The Bible says that everywhere. Now, what happens or what did happen when you became a Christian? Now, you might not be a Christian here this morning or listening in. What would happen if you came to Jesus in repentance and faith for the forgiveness of your sins? Or what did happen in my life when I was uh, little or in your life when you became a Christian? Number one, God imputes. There's no better way to, to say this. That word imputes. God imputes or assigns Jesus' righteousness to you. Um, what, it, what that means is God looks at you and he, he says, there is only one righteous person who has ever lived and fulfilled all the requirements of the law, and that is Jesus. And he died to forgive you, and I'm going to declare you to be righteous like him. That is imputed righteousness, imputed to you. Your status has changed in the eyes of God. He looks at you and he sees his beloved son. You are his child. He is your father. That's great, but there is more. He not only declared you to be righteous, he didn't just say, you are now righteous in my eyes. He made you righteous. You are righteous as a person in your inner being, your core self, or in your heart. Now, that's wonderful. Let me explain. When the Bible speaks about the heart, it means your whole uh, person. It means your mind, your emotions, your will, your core, your soul is righteous. How? Because a person, the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Godhead, one 
with God, equal with God the Father and the Son, when you became a Christian, came to live in you. And if a person comes to live in you, you are a new person in your core being, fundamentally who you truly are. You are a new person, literally, wonderfully, fundamentally, not theoretically. It's happened. Come on, smile. Uh, Elsewhere, the Bible would say, you've been born again. Or in Romans, Paul puts it like this, you no longer live and walk in the flesh, you live and walk in the Spirit. And Paul is not saying that half the day you live and walk in the flesh and half the day you live and walk in the Spirit. He says, no, 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 no. You no longer fundamentally walk in the flesh. You walk in the Spirit. You are a new uh, person. So question, why do we still sin? Because the old person is still there. Fundamentally, in our core being, our soul, we are new, but the old person, the flesh, is still there. But every day until that day, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can conquer that sin. Now, sometimes we don't get onto this ground and we're cautious and we say, well, here's a sermon on how to conquer sin. Here's a sermon on how to be prosperous in the Christian life. And they're terribly dangerous if prosperity is found in any other way than holding on to Christ who is in us, in the person of his spirit. But here is how to conquer sin. Think of some worldly allegiance, worldly behavior, worldly whatever it is that you um, uh, sort of struggled with. I was going to say this week, let's go for yesterday, let's go for this morning. How do you view it? How do you view it? Do you view it as, as if you were a victim of it? Or do you view it as if you were a victor over it? The Bible says you need to view that sin as if you are a victor over it. Why are you a victor over it? Because that sin was nailed to the cross. And with your body, it is dying out. And in the new creation, it will not exist anymore. It's forgiven. It's conquered. That's what uh, people like John Owen, Puritans, called mortification of sin. Kill sin as a victor, not as a victim over it. Fight it as a victor, not as a victim. Put it to death. Because it's dying, it is no longer part of who you fundamentally are in your core uh, being. And uh, uh, how? how do you do that? Well, by praying, by asking God, please help me, my Father, to kill this sin in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within me and is who I now fundamentally are. I remember as a, as a student saying to a Christian in the church I went to, that's just it's too simplistic. And his response, the minister, and I'll never forget this, was when did you last pray that prayer? I mean, you can't really wriggle out of that one, can you? Why don't we sit down and say, Please, God, in the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, the new person that I am in Christ, who I fundamentally, it helps you to understand who you fund, help me, will you help me to kill that sin? Will you help me? Can I do it today? Can it just be put behind me today? 
How many times do we pray that prayer? Psalm 1 is not about that, though. Psalm 1 gives us another strategy. Delight in the law of the Lord or the Word of God and meditate on it day and night. What we take into our bodies physically affects our physical health. Um, if you asked uh, Sally what I do when I come um, in, in, late at night if I've been working, is I, I watch the Golf Channel or Downton Abbey and I eat a bag of crisps. And given it's a day of confession, it's often a family-sized bag of crisps. The only, <laughs> the only thing that's worse than that is crisps followed by a tub of ice cream. That's when I've had a particularly bad day in the job. What we take into our bodies when you get to 54 is exhibited on your bodies. What we take into our bodies affects our physical health. What we take into our bodies affects our spiritual health. How, how true that is, isn't it? How true that is. And, and what Psalm 1 is saying is, look, take in the word of God, listen, receive it, be transformed by it, its truth, its integrity, its worth, its good, its nourishment for our soul, soul food. What does it say? It says, delight in the word of the Lord and go to three Bible studies a week. That's not what it says, is it? It says, delight in the word of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Delight and meditation. Delight and meditation. They're not words that we often grasp. Now, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Come to Sundays. Come to our small groups with a desire to delight and meditate on the Word of God. You may not feel delight or joy, but pray that you will. Delight and meditation. And here it is in Psalm 1. What do we get in Psalm 1? Delight Meditation in Psalm 2, verse 7, kiss the sun. They're beautiful words. Delight in the word of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. What does meditate mean? Well, let me give you various translations of the Hebrews. It means to moan, to hum, to mutter, to speak, to muse. It means to pour over the word and let it pour over you. It means to come to it expectantly in a frame of devotion. We're very suspicious as, as kind of conservative evangelical Christians of words like meditating on the Word of God. That's because often meditation, and what I've defined that means, meditates on anything other than the Word of God. But take the gospel, take the Word of God, and, and meditate on it, learn it, live in it, recite it, sing it. It's not about length of time, it's about state of heart. There's a phrase by a man called Eugene Peterson, which I've always remembered. David Jackman in London, where I worked, used this phrase all the time. Come to the Word of God, not as cool analysts, but as passionate hearers, passionate listeners. Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Uh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a kind of, I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller on this, and, and, and he said, if anyone is taking notes at that point of the service, they should be putting their pens down. <laughs> The only person currently taking notes is my mother. <laughs> what he's saying is, Luke, what he's saying is it's, it's great to take notes, it's great to follow along, but there comes a point where we put down our pens, we, we just stop, we just stop and we listen. And that's why at the end we sing. We sing. And he says in the same sermon, Keller, preachers need to write out their notes, otherwise it goes horribly wrong. 
And, and he says, but if you drop your notes on the floor halfway through, you should still keep going because you have meditated in that word enough during the week to know what you want to say. Meditate. Delight is the other word. Delight is a very emotive word. It's used here in other Psalms, most notably Psalm 119, which is all about the word of God. The times in my life where I have found most delight in the word of God are the times that have been the bleakest times. Because you come to the habitat where you are safe and where you thrive. Especially if another Christian helps you in that habitat and is with you and you are not alone. Um, I love my wife. I do not love a picture of her. I do, but not as much as her. I love her as a person. What happens when you meditate and delight in the Word of God? You meet a person, you encounter a person. How do we know? What's, what's the application of Psalm 2? The application of Psalm 2 is verses 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear and kiss the Son. So when you go home after church on a Sunday or after your small group on a Tuesday, now do not, don't trust your feelings, because often our feelings lie to us. But our purpose in coming to church and listening to a sermon and our purpose going to our small groups and speaking the truth in love for one is that we might understand the Word of God better and that it might transform us as we understand it. But surely the purpose too is to meet the living Christ. What's the, the strap line of, of preaching the Apostle Paul had? Christ we proclaim. Christ we proclaim. The person of the living Christ in you by the Holy Spirit, stirring up now your affections for Christ. Don't trust your emotions necessarily, how we feel, but that's what is actually going on in our lives when we meditate and delight in the Word of God. Thomas Chalmers, after whom this church is named, and if you want to know why it is, I'll tell you, um, preached a, a very powerful sermon once called The Expulsive Power of a New um, Affection. And uh, he preached that sermon in his house so his house is just up the next street, two along, and you'll see a plaque on the door, Thomas Chalmers' house. He preached in the house because he had no church building. Um, the expulsive power of a new affection. And what he, he's saying by that, it's a wonderful thing. When you became a Christian and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have a new love and a new affection. If you've got a new person in you who loves the Word of God, who doesn't love the world, and that is in you supernaturally by the Spirit, you have a new love a new affection for stuff, new likes. And his point is, the more you meditate on the Word of God, the more you pray, that that affection becomes so strong in you that it, it is a stronger affection than the affections and likes of the world. Hence the expulsive power of a new affection. That's how we change as Christians. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, what happens bit by bit in our lives as Christians that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, or they do, stability, vitality, productivity, durability, uh, prosperity. Um, how do you achieve 
stability, vitality, productivity, durability, prosperity for God. You can't. Only Christ can. Yes. Stoop down before him and see him as the only one who can and then realize that the Christ in glory has imparted his Holy Spirit and his righteousness inside of you. And, and because of that dynamic, as you meditate on the word of God and pray, you are growing more stable, more vital, more productive, more durable, more uh, prosperous. And you're thinking, no, I'm not. And the Bible is saying, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But remember, the more you grow as a Christian, the more your conscience will come alive and the more you will feel the battle with sin. Now, Psalm 1 is a wonderful psalm for the Christian life. We haven't looked at verses 4 and 5 and 6. Um, not because the psalm is saying there are two ways to live, either in Christ or in the world. Verse 4 is, is like, it's like the last word today before you go back out into the world. Um, really, if you're reading verse 4, it would say, not so the wicked, not so the world. In other words, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by what you see. Don't be fooled by these other loves that battle for your flesh. Don't be fooled by the apparent prosperity of the world. It never satisfies. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, they will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I mean, that's a tough end to the psalm, isn't it? Standing in the judgment, we're going to sing, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him the living head and clothed in righteousness divine. That's the verdict of the first day of the new creation. Do you want to be there? The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the power of this psalm. We thank you for the way that it opens up for us what the Christian life is and how we are to lead it. And we pray, Lord, that we will be prosperous and fruitful and stable and enduring, not because we can achieve that in our own efforts, but because Christ is that person and he lives in us by his spirit and we are fundamentally his. We are new people and that righteous life is being worked out in us supernaturally and you call us to facilitate that by by meditating and delighting in the habitat that is the word of God day and night help us Lord to embrace all the opportunities you set before us to do that and to grow individually and to grow corporately as Christians and we pray this in Jesus name